Welcome back to A Complete History of Manchester United. I'm your host, Wayne Barton, author and producer of several Manchester United books and films, and I'm joined, as always, by the legendary football writer, Paddy Barclay, to take you on this journey through Old Trafford history. As always, if you're watching this video, please give it a like and subscribe and join in the conversation in the comment section. If you're listening to the audio podcast as well, please be sure to subscribe and give us a review on the platform you're listening on. If you do listen back on the audio podcast, do give it a chance to um, test your eyes on the YouTube version as well, because we do put up a lot of visuals on there and that you do miss on the audio version. Um, I don't hope it doesn't ruin the experience for you. I don't think it does. We still try and provide the information either way, but it's a little bit more immersive um, watching the video. Um, so, Paddy, in the last episode, we took in the 50-51 season, and today we look at one of the defining seasons under Matt Busby, really, on and off the pitch, because there were a lot of moving parts in this season. Um mm -hmm. I guess the best place to start is with the, the blockbuster summer transfer. Um, we spoke in the last episode how United badly needed wingers. Delaney and Mitten were sorely missed. And you also mentioned that somewhat doomed tradition United have of signing players who impressed in summer tours or tournaments. Mm -hmm. But when Birmingham knocked United out of the FA Cup in the previous season, a new tradition yep. was born where United would see the best player in the opposition side who give them a bit of a running around and they marked him for an eventual move to Old Trafford. Mm. And that was the case with uh, Johnny Berry, wasn't it? Yes. Johnny Berry had played for Birmingham uh, when they knocked uh, knocked United out of the cup. Um, United didn't have a great cup record around this time, but we'll get on to that in this 51-2 season. Uh, Johnny Berry, terrific player. Um if you were to go through all of his attributes as a winger, I suppose you would start with courage. Um, he was basically, he was irrepressible. Um, a typical winger, um, but, you know, brave as a lion. And um, he cost 25,000, you know, he was a class player. He was, you know, he, there was no never any doubt that he would prosper at the at the higher level with United, <clears throat> and um, contributed as, as you can see from the statistics: two seventy six appearances, forty five goals, reasonable chipped in. You know, one in six goal scorer, and uh, but 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 really a, an absolute torment for any left back that came up against him. And remember that United had created two wing vacancies at the same time. Busby always thought wingers were vitally important. The 51-2 season uh, was to prove that. And uh, he, um, uh, the um, Jimmy Delaney had gone back to, to Scotland to join Aberdeen. His career was winding down. So at last, by signing Johnny Berry, um, United had a worthy replacement for the 1948 teams uh, outside right, Jimmy Delaney. Uh, there was, of course, the vacancy on the left wing, which had been a season, uh, a problem the previous season because of uh, Charlie Mitten's disappearance to Colombia. Um, at this, as the season 51-2 starts, um, that vacancy is still very much there because um, Charlie Mitten is still serving his suspension. It's not due to run out until just before Christmas, just before the turn of the year. Um, and, you know, without giving too much away, he will never play for Manchester United again. Busby warned him about that. 
uh, as we talk now, as the season begins, he's training alone. Um, Busby wouldn't even let him train with the team. And uh, so these, these two great wingers. And uh, the season uh, begins with a, a little known name at, at outside left, but uh, it, it, it will improve. Yeah, um, the name on the left is Ernie Bond, but we'll come to him in a little moment because yeah. he is eventually replaced by um, Roger Byrne, a local lad. And again, as we come through the um, squad statistic section, we'll, we'll talk about these lads in more detail. But Byrne was the guy, really, wasn't he, who broke into the left-hand side and made that his own uh, alongside Aston? He did. Roger Byrne came in and he made his debut in November. Yeah. He'd come from uh, Ryder, uh, born in Gorton, yeah. and came from the Ryder Brow Boys Club, uh, where he played alongside Brian Statham later to become one of England's greatest fast bowlers, uh, and a, a young footballer too that um, uh, Brian Statham that that Busby tried to sign, but uh, Statham's dad made him concentrate on cricket, and my word, how that was vindicated, but. Uh, Roger Byrne really wasn't one of those, given the place he was to occupy in Manchester United's history and uh, the class that he was to display during his sadly curtailed career, um, he didn't, he wasn't being chased by everybody. He was, in fact, he was nearly 20 when he finally arrived at, at Old Trafford, being a grammar school boy, um, he was a bright lad. And he was very, very quick as a player, but of a lot else. Um, always played down the left-hand side of the park. Um, hadn't yet found the position in which he was to become, to become a great. But he was right-footed, played on the left. Um, always seemed to play on the left. And he was a wing-half when he, when he came to United. As I say, very, very quick, but was a great tackler and great didn't seem all that terrific but Busby and Murphy and, and Wally and uh, and Curry and, and the rest could see something in this pace and I think it was the beginning of, of the overlapping fullback because he was to end up at fullback but in this season 1951-2 he came in started scoring goals was moved to the left wing to the mitten position Hey, Presto, he's the answer to the left-wing problem. Scores goals. He got uh, two against um, uh, uh, Liverpool in a 4-0 victory that somehow said United are here. Um, they took over a number at the top of the league in uh, towards the end of January. And by then, they were on a roll. And Roger Byrne was outside left. Quick as lightning, so you had Byrne and Barry on the wings, and um, you know, who, who's no one's missing Delaney and Mitten anymore. Uh, Mitten, by the way, uh, since he's come up in the conversation around Christmas, he's brought in to see Busby and told you're going to Fulham. Not how would you like to go to Fulham, Charlie? You're going to Fulham. Twenty, they got twenty-two thousand for him, which shows how good he was. Almost every penny of what they'd paid for Johnny Berry. Yeah. And uh, and that was Mitten, you know, off to Fulham, which, you know, you think, well, 
could be worse down by the river there. But Fulham are second bottom of the league. So instead of fighting for the title with Man United, Charlie's fighting against relegation with Fulham. Uh, so he's still paying a very high price for that very lucrative and very short spell in Colombia. Yeah, um, one of those, as we said earlier, with Morris, one of those very early indications of Busby putting the law down. He's saying, you know, this is my way. Um, mm. This is the way it's going to go. Yeah. Um, as, as you said in the last episode with Mitten, initially thinking that he'd gone with Busby's blessing, but... Um, not quite the case. Um, Busby was to be quite um, stern on that matter when um, when Mitten returned, as you mentioned there. Um, off the pitch in the early part of the season, apparently there's a, a bit of trauma at the club. Um, we talked about Louis Rocker passing away just before yeah. Steve United. Um, yeah. So, show the fruits of the labour and the same was for James Gibson. I mean, James Gibson and Louis Rocker, two of the most important men in, in the entire passage of Manchester United history but Very much so, yeah. he passed away in the early part of the season he did um it was uh, he was a few weeks short of his what would have been his 74th birthday you will well you know everyone who's followed the series will know um that he missed the 1948 FA Cup final it wasn't although the players brought the trophy back before they even went into Albert Square to celebrate in 1948 they stopped off <clears throat> at um, Gibson's home in North Cheshire and Hale Barnes or wherever it was, and they and they took the cup up to his bedroom where he was his sick bed was, and uh, yes, he finally died of a second stroke, um, a few weeks short of of of, of what would have been his seventy fourth birthday. Uh, taking over as chairman was Harold Hardman. Uh, former Manchester United player of some distinction and Olympian, I think. Uh, and I think for England as well. And uh, yes, uh, United director from virtually the end of his playing days in, in 1912. And um, uh, then returned... Uh, returned uh, to do, do direct the club, uh, to be a director of the club in 1934, and very much after his early tussles with with Busby, um, who, who you know who, who thought he stuck his nose into the manager's affairs perhaps a bit too much. After his early tussles, once again, um, Busby came out on top, and Hardman was a was not by now. Uh, a Busby loyalist, and, and they worked. They were to work together um, successfully. However, just in case, um, uh, James Gibson had appointed, had insisted that his son Alan become a director of the club, and Alan had been given strict uh, a script to follow, which was that Busby's authority must never be questioned. And Alan Gibson was to remain on the board for, for many, many years. I, I, I wouldn't say he was a forceful character or a particularly influential one, but it was good to see the Gibson family uh, tradition maintained by his, uh, by his son Alan's uh, return to the board. But Hardman very much in charge during this uh, of the board, during, if not Busby, during this highly um, 
productive 1951-2 season. Yeah, United started the season very well and then there was a sort of mini collapse. I mean, Rowley at the start of the season scored three hat-tricks in the first three weeks. Mm. Um, loads of goals being scored in there. Um, the the competition in the season, uh, in the league in this season was great because you had all the previous post-war champions, a champion at the bit at the top, Portsmouth, Spurs and uh, most notably Arsenal towards the end. But after a strong start by mid-November, it also looked, it almost looked like United wouldn't be in a race because they suffered six defeats and just two clean sheets. I think they were down in seventh at one point. Mm. Um, really, I mean, the story of the season's a, a little bit funny because, I mean, the, the defence never really recovered in terms of um, becoming miserly. They, they kept on the eight clean sheets from November, um, conceded 52 in 42 in the league, but it's the goal-scoring power that really came... Mm. Um, came to the fore because Berry and Byrne were just providing, um, laying all the goals on a plate for those forwards in the middle. Rowley finished in top scorer with 30 goals this season. Um, yeah. Some very notable games in there, Paddy. The first um, being at Sunderland. Um, they were two. They were one nil down with two minutes to go, um, and they scored two goals in the last two minutes. There had been a little bit of a pattern of late goals in the recent weeks, and uh, one newspaper had quipped about um, what United was support, what United's players were supposed to be doing for the the first eighty five minutes of games, <laughs> including things like um, handing tickets out to fans and stuff like that, you know, for the next game. Um, basically, making a light or a joke that they weren't doing anything for the first part of the game, but then came alive at the end. Um, you, you sometimes can't win when you're a footballer, can you? But, but it's uh, that is true. It's funny. It, 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 interesting that you bring this point up because, you know, probably a lot of people, myself included, might um, imagine that this habit of uh, rescuing causes late in matches began with Sir Alex Ferguson, but clearly. Uh, it was an early mark of the Busby years as well. I, I, I'd never realised that. Um, I don't know if it was so much part of the character as a, a quirk of the season, but um, they followed the yeah. Sunderland game with a, a win over Wolves. So I have Pearson was in um, majestic form there, as you see, yeah. um, score, scoring and being influential as United started the game quite well that time round. Um, yeah. In terms of the games against the, the big rivals, there was a massive game against Spurs in January where United came out on top. Sir Alf yeah. Ramsey, as he would later become um, knighted, uh, scored an own goal on the day, scored for Manchester United. So I guess there's a trivia question in there. How many <laughs> England managers have scored for Manchester United? Um, Alf <laughs> Ramsey being one. Uh, how many World Cup winners? How, how many World Cup winning managers have scored for Manchester United? Um Alf Ramsey um, getting on the score sheet there. Well, that's um, a very good one. I'm going to torment people with that one. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Portsmouth, one of the Pride champions, did a double over United, and they were the early leaders in the league that season. But United came on really strong in the second half of the campaign, saving the best form, as you mentioned earlier, Paddy, for the yeah. last three weeks of the season. Really, They were outstanding in the big games. He's talked about that 4 0 win. Over Liverpool, Burn now on the left wing in number eleven, scoring two goals. Yep. He scored another two in a six-one win over Burnley, yep. and the um, it basically set up this situation where um, a lot of people thought it was going to be contrived. Actually, that um, <laughs> when it went into the last couple of games, because it, it was all set up nicely for United and Arsenal to go into the last game um, in a head-to-head yes. uh, for the title, um, and they did that. Um, but United, when it got to the final day, because of the number of goals it scored, were they were fairly comfortable. 
Arsenal were the nearest challengers, but United only had to avoid defeat by seven goals to win the league, Paddy. That's right. Um, but there was also there was drama in the the, the, the previous game, the game against um, against Chelsea, because it was Monday Saturday, wasn't it, Wayne? It was. Yeah. Um, um, and it's worth. Do you mind if I just dwell a wee bit on the the Monday game? Because the Arsenal and United were playing at the same time. Uh, you, you, the great thing was that, you know, in this basically what boiled down to a two-horse race, the United had home advantage in both games. And the first of them was, was the Chelsea game. And United were very nervous. Uh, the crowd were nervous. Um, Pearson, uh, one of the remnants from the 48 team, Cup winning team uh, sort of uh, eased United's nerves a little bit by giving them the lead. But the game changer, I think, from all the accounts was the second goal. Carey, as you, Johnny Carey, again, a great remnant from the 48 Cup winning side, was playing in, in midfield, was playing as a wing half at this, at this time, McNulty at right in his cup winning position at right back a Carey's cup winning position at right back and Carey scores a fantastic goal from 30 yards he just guides it flights it into the net from 30 yards and at around the same time it became known in the crowd that Arsenal were losing they were at I think they were at West Brom and Suddenly, the tension of this occasion, the penultimate match, lifted. This goal somehow convinced everybody everything was fine. United were going to win the league. And there was a, one more goal, uh, Henry Coburn, yet another 48-man wins uh shoots the ball's deflected three nil everything's fine and there are two roars the final whistle and then immediately afterwards the news that arsenal have lost at west brom which means as you say uh that arsenal would have had to win arsenal were at old trafford in the final game and they had to win 7-0. And Joe Mercer, Busby's old pal, uh, on that Monday night sent him a telegram saying, congratulations, you've won the league. <laughs> and whether it was a bit of uh, a mind game by, by crafty old Joe, who knows? But uh, I think more likely it was an acceptance of, uh, of the reality of the situation. Seven. So uh, Arsenal never had a chance of winning 7-0 when they came to Old Trafford on the Saturday. They lost a player through injury. No substitutes, of course, in those days. They lost the player through injury halfway through the game. They were down to 10 men. So, uh, you know, they were, they were never going to make inroads into that seven, those seven goals that they needed to score. And in fact, um, lost. And so it was just a day of, of celebration uh, mm. by a United team um, who'd finally won the league after a gap 
of 30 seasons, United were champions of England again. Incredible. Um, Raul getting an hat-trick on that last day. Um, 6-1 United win. So, I mean, talk of a crazy score wasn't that absurd. You know, United actually put that crazy score on the table. Um, You're quite right, Arsenal. Um, I'd does mitigate in circumstances anyway where they have the man injured quite early on, um, played with 10 for, for most of the match. And that was, uh, we'll come to how that would impact Arsenal in the following weeks as well. Um, but it was a big achievement for the, the men at United. You talked about some of those stalwarts now have been there since the 48 side and earlier than that, really. I mean, Aston, Carey, Chilton, Pearson, Rowley, Carey, all deserving of special praise, especially Carey. But as you mentioned, moving from right back to right half for the majority of the season, really, and uh, putting in um, not only a sort of captain shift, but making a vital contribution at such a, a memorable time as well. Um, yeah. Really um, great quote here by Busby towards the end of, of the mm. season. I'm going to just show a couple of slides on, on the screen. First of all, uh, this is Manchester United, unless Arsenal beat them by seven. Um, yes. Champagne for the champions. And there's a, um, this is for the video version, obviously. Um, there's a thing about the goal averages there in the headline, which is made up in tiny print, which is kind of, um, kind of reflective of um, the kind of um, dynamics mentally and arithmetic. arithmetic yeah. That were needed for United to, to sort of throw the title away, but they didn't. They obviously won 6 1 on the final day. And, uh, and won the title. Uh, there's a picture of the title winning side there, which comes from the following season. A little bit of a spoiler there because there's a charity shield alongside, but we'll come to that in, in due course as well. But there's the title winning yeah. side with the, yeah. the um, some of the directors and and, Matt and there's little um, in the back row there among the directors and officials is Walter Crickmer, uh, the the little man. Yeah. And and there's Alan Gibson, son of yeah. uh, the late chairman. Uh, next to him with the sort of pebbly glasses and uh, of course Busby standing proudly uh, at the end um, yes the, the one or two of the of the new boys uh, in, in that team there uh, notably goalkeeper Reg Allen and a, a few stories about him um, and of course uh, the aging uh, Carey, aging but unbowed Carey um, in in the front row. Yeah, um, Busby's quote at the end of the season, and we'll come to another infamous quote that he, he made as well, but he said, that I said this at the end of the season, it wasn't, it was in his book, My Story, which was published a few years later, but he, he talks about this team and he, two great lines here. He said, it is a tragedy that great footballers must, like more expensive, expendable humans, grow old because some, <laughs> alas, can never be replaced. But I wanted to comment on this because this was a line he wrote before Munich and I, I find it compelling. And a lot of people mm. um, over time have talked about sentiment in football and I would just mm. want to read this line without um, context of anything else, de- devoid of putting it against anything else that happened in United history just to, to be taken on its own merits. And I think it reveals a lot about what Busby um, had envisioned for Manchester United. So he said, um, it is often stated that there is no sentiment in soccer, but despite all the fine achievements of the present young Manchester United side, I feel we must never lose sight of the contributions made by the older servants of the club. Mm. 
Um, I, I find that really compelling that he made made those converse, uh, those comments before Munich happened. Um, that he was talking about wanting to build something more than football. Um, yeah, it's just compelling to me that um, yeah. we, especially when you see this this idea that football is ruthless in these days and it's all about winning. And perhaps that's a lot to do with the um, vision that Alex Ferguson would build in in the future. And this, yes, um, I was just going to say that that the um, the the, the 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 belief that um, that Busby had in in the family and his ruthlessness in excluding people from the family uh, are both um, for, uh, characteristics that we will later to see in in Sir Alex Ferguson. Uh, it's a very good point. Um, but yes, but Busby certainly had been uh, utterly ruthless in uh, chopping. Uh, both Johnny Morris and uh, Charlie Mitten. Um, and oh, just a, a little mention, we ought to say that Johnny Downey, who replaced Johnny Morris at inside right, attacking midfield, as you would call yeah. it now, um, <clears throat> uh, uh, you know, it was it's, it's never really quite been lauded um, in, in the way he might have been because he came in and, and here he is with a, a league title winner's medal. Um, so uh, yeah, that's that's he, he's a, a notable member of the team, as indeed McNulty, right back McNulty, uh, is an, another one who probably isn't a name that drips off the tongue, um, as 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 would the names of Avaston, Carey, Coburn, Pearson, uh, and later Byrne. Yeah, uh, let's run through the squad then, as always, and get these uh, players there. Ah, yes, made uh, his debut during the season, didn't he? Jackie Blanchflower, showing how the the net has spread even wider from the original Gibson um, dream of a, a Manchester team made up of greater Mancunians. Jackie Blanchflower was found uh, sourced from, as they would say now, from Northern Ireland brother of Danny of Spurs and uh, terrific talent who made his debut replaced um, uh, replaced uh, sorry about this uh, uh, Don Gibson replaced Don Gibson uh, during the season and uh, made his debut and uh, was to become an extremely talented uh, player and a um, and, and to figure in 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 some some big occasions. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll just obviously Jackie was in the half back line. Uh, could play anywhere. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, I've put him down as back as his um, primary position, but as we'll come to. Well, it wasn't a bad keeper either. But that's <laughs> that's for another day. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, let's start with the goalkeepers from the season. Reg Allen um, was the first choice by now. 34 appearances in all competitions, 33 in the league. Jack Crumpton, um, just, I think he missed out on a league title medal here because he was supposed to make 10 appearances back in those days, weren't he? And he, he made nine appearances. I'm sure that they must have come up with some dispensation to get him the medal. Uh, Jack Crumpton, nine appearances all in the league that season, um, as he was very close to bowing out um, after the injury problems that he's had. Um, we talked about Jackie Blanchflower there in the off-back line. The other off-back line 
um, candidates. Alan B. Chilton played every single league game at 43 in the league because United only played, sorry, 43 in all competitions because United were eliminated in the FA Cup in the first um, mm-hmm. instance against Hull City. Um, well, that was so, the shock of the third round up, by the way, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Emery Coburn, 38 appearances in the league, two goals, 39 in all appearances. Don Gibson in the off-back line, 17 appearances. Then you've got Mark Jones, um, Chilton's standing really, but again, as we talked about last season, Chilton is mm-hmm. always available. So Jones has to make do with three appearances in, in the league. Billy McGlenn, two appearances in the league. Jeff Whitefoot, three appearances in the league. Um, at full back, uh, we talked about um, Johnny Carey, obviously, but he's moved into that half by line, 39 appearances in all competitions and three goals. Uh, one of them a title clincher. Um, Billy Redman, 18 appearances in all competitions, um, primarily at left back, um, as United were making those changes on that left, left-hand side. Tom McNulty, 24 appearances at right back and 25 in all competitions. And Roger Byrne, of course, of someone that we mentioned earlier on. Um, Golton Bourne, as, as um, Paddy mentioned, he did... Start the season in the reserves as a left winger. He scored a hat-trick on the opening day in the Central League against Bolton. and he's, That form quickly got him into the first team. Um, like Blanche Flower, he made his debut in that draw at Anfield, the 0-0 um, in November. But Busby, like Paddy said, he'd been brave and clever enough to see that Byrne could play left-back as well with the speed that he had. I mean, he was 22 when he made his debut as well. I mean, he, made, he played in that number 11 towards the, the end of the season yeah. you know, with Aston behind him. Um, and he scored, as, as Paddy said, six goals in, in four games. Um, a defining contribution at a crucial time. Um, if we move into the forward line, John Aston, mostly, I mean, he did play some games in the forward line, but he was moving back to left back again here. He, he scored four goals in 18 games, all in the yeah. league. Um, and Johnny Berry's contribution in that forward line on the outside right, um, 36 games in the league, six goals. 37 in all appearance, uh, in all competitions, that one game in the FA Cup as well. Uh, Brian Birch, we've talked about him in earlier episodes, he's, he's played two appearances this season and didn't score a goal. Laurie Cassidy, another player we mentioned in previous episodes, uh, just a single appearance this season. Frank Clemson with two goals in eight league games this season. Um, and we talked about Aaron McShane. Um, a veteran um, would come in for a short period of time. He, he scored one goal in 12 league appearances. Paddy championed John Downey um, as well in Mike's. He scored 11 goals in 31 appearances, 32 in the league. Um, so, a really good contribution from Downey. Um, but the, I mean, the, the standout players in the season, Stan Pearson, obviously, with 22 goals in 41 league appearances. And, and Rowley, with all those hat tricks, surprising, yeah. he only scored 30 goals, really. But he was a competition uh, top scorer, 30 in the league. Um, if we just move to the last two players who we haven't really mentioned so far, did you know that James Bond once played for Manchester United? Well, the name's Bond, James Ernie Bond, who before he was serving as a secret agent was playing as an outside left for Manchester United after signing from Leyland Motors in December 1950. Now, he started the season at outside left and did quite well, actually. His best run of form came over Christmas where he scored in three consecutive games. But Bond's place in the team was, unfortunately, a casualty. One of those um, where Busby was ruthless, as Mm. we talked about earlier on. Um, The strong form of Roger Byrne and and John Aston was um, much too formidable for Bond to to, um, compete with. So 20 appearances in all competitions, 
Vogels, obviously, both of his career spent in this season, but um, a commendable shift that he put on the left hand side when United needed um, they needed someone to fill in basically the first part of the season until um, Roger Byrne learned how to swim, and he did um, so um, impeccably. Um, so yeah, um, in the, well, he, in was, the- he, he was and he was one of the the guys that uh, that Busby and Murphy. I mean, he only cost three hundred quid, but he yeah. wouldn't have come to the club if if. If Busby Murphy et al. had not thought that he might just be the answer to the mitten problem, yeah, uh, didn't quite make it. But four goals in twenty-one appearances—it's not too shabby, is it? No, and one of the oldest living um, league title winners with Manchester United as of recording of this podcast. Um, incredible, really, uh, and like I said, a very notable contribution considering that you know it came in at a time when United United desperately needed some balance on that side, and, and he provided that. Um, a less significant contribution from John Walton, who signed, he's a centre forward. He signed, um, or an inside forward, really, because he came in and stood in for Downey for two appearances. Now, he transferred from Berry for free in July 1951, and he transferred back to Berry for free in July 1952. Um, made two early season appearances standing in for Downey. He had a run in the reserve team. Um, scoring a couple of goals in there. But even then, the quality coming through at reserve team level uh, meant that he wasn't going to have a career at the club. Um, yeah. We'll talk through the uh, tactics very quickly. Uh, yeah. We see Reggie Allen. Uh, this is the, I mean, we talked about the, the various um, changes throughout the season. Byrne playing some at left back. Bond playing some on the left hand side down the wing as well. Um, and some of those other forward players who made a contribution that's not um, insignificant. Mm. Um, and some of those younger players like Jones and Whitefoot, who mm. we can't really put in the side yet because the mainstays are there like Coburn and Carey and, and players like that. So you're not going to... And Gibson, obviously, he would play it all in that half-back line or it might yeah. fill in right-back as well. So you've got Alan in goal, McNulty right-back, as, as Paddy mentioned earlier, certainly deserving of praise for his contribution. Yeah, Chilton, um, a rock at the centre-back position. And probably getting better with age, really, Chilton. You talked about in, in earlier episodes that he'd been probably... Um, unfairly singled out sometimes that his errors normally led to goals but normally mm. uh, that i mean in united did concede 52 so maybe chilling can sh- shoulder some of the blame for that this season but generally it was generally expected that accepted that he was getting better with age um aston mm. yeah back. um Carey and coburn in that halfback line downey and pearson the inside forwards downey really had um stepped in and done well stepped up and done a job barry and burn um now looking like the new wing force supporting Raleigh with yeah. the goals. Um, Raleigh yeah. in sensational form this season. Um, but yeah, I also mentioned Bond earlier on. You've got to say that he, he deserves a shout alongside Burn on that left hand side. Um, mm-hmm. The academic sort of stuff that we go through, um, United's colours haven't changed. Again, they're still in red at home and blue away. Um, the programme is still the same with the handshake at the top. The average home attendance this season was 41,374 with the, the biggest attendance, 54,245 against Manchester City. Um, you'd say the key results for United this season, Paddy, some big results really. The the double-hander over Arsenal where they, they won 3-1 at Ibrox, yeah. won 6-1, obviously that was the swing which won the title. Um mm-hmm. The, yes. the morale boosting entertaining win over Spurs in January, um, and the running results with the 4 0 win over Liverpool and the 2 6 1s, um, which define the outcome of the title. Um, yeah. 
Elsewhere in England, Arsenal's injury was, as we talked about earlier on, they continued to hurt them the following week. And they lost against Arsenal in the FA Cup final. So a great period for... Again, for... Was, was it uh, Newcastle? Yeah, against Newcastle, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Newcastle, very much the team of the FA Cup in the 1950s, um, as uh, as we see. Um, yeah, but it, 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 you're quite right, Arsenal. It is only fair to say that Arsenal were very unkindly treated by injuries during the season. Um, and then one little thing, I mean, United went on tour again, and we're not going to talk about that this episode because they set sail for another tour of North America. But before, before yeah. they went, Paddy, um, yeah. a little note to close, which is a significant moment in United history, really, because of the club's AGM shortly after winning the title, Busby had boldly proclaimed that the club um, had at least £200,000 of talent beyond yeah. the first team. Yeah. Um, the reserve team this season... And we're talking about the reserve team now. I'm not talking. There, there are names far beyond this that mm. um, that we're not even going to get a mention here. But the reserve team included the likes of Roger Byrne, who made his mm. debut, Blanche Flower, who made his debut, Jones, Whitefoot, all these youngsters who'd already made the debut. But there's Eddie Lewis, a prolific scorer at lower level. Mm. David Pegg had been scouted and brought to the club, and he was highly covered throughout the country. These are obviously players that we'll talk about in future episodes. Ray Wood, yeah. a goalkeeper who'd made his debut already. Dennis Viler, a, uh, a local striker who'd come up yeah. through the ranks. Bill Folks, another local lad. A lot of these young lads are in there, and these were the lads who basically, Busby was saying, are worth £200,000, wasn't it? Yeah, ab- absolutely. You're, you're, and you haven't mentioned Eddie Lewis yet. Yeah, like I said, a prolific goal scorer at that level. Yeah, big, uh, big, big lad, big lad, but he wasn't big enough. Can I tell you a story about Eddie Lewis? Absolutely, yeah. That's what we're here for. Are we allowed to? Is it um, allowed one little bit of naughty language? Yeah, because, we can do that. We'll uh, we'll, we'll, we'll bleep it out, or if right, we don't bleep well, it out, uh, yeah, cover the right, because, of sensitive children. Because it also pertains to um, Reg Allen, and uh, the previous episode we mentioned that. Reg Allen must be broken the world record for a goalkeeper and paying £11,000 to QPR for the Londoner Reg Allen. But, and, and, and was vindicated when Reg Allen helps United to a, to a league championship medal. So that's all great. But there was still this hierarchical set up in the, in the United dressing room. The, the senior players were very much the senior players. And of course, Alan, you know, with his pedigree, was was very much one of those, as from the moment he walked into the club, along with the waspy tongued Rowley and 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 so on, they were the kings of the dressing room. But Eddie Lewis, who was a big lad, and he was fancies himself a bit, and one day he comes into the dressing room, the first team dressing room, did Eddie. And he sees the, the first team are, aren't there. And he sees, he's with a few of his mates from the, from the reserve and youth team. And he sees Reg Allen's jar of Brill Cream. Now, Brill Cream, for the younger people uh, uh, listening and watching to this, was the gel of its time. It was a hair preparation that you put on uh, your head and and Reg Allen 
had a very slicked, you know, elegant, not a hair out of place hairstyle. He was a good looking lad. And Reg's jar of Birrell cream, you, nobody touched that. Nobody, you weren't really meant to look at it, never mind uh, touch it. But Reg wasn't there. And so Eddie Lewis swaggers into the dressing room, sees the jar of Brill cream and thinks, I'll have a bit of that. And the others were saying, no, 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 Eddie, don't touch that. That's Reg's Brill cream. <laughs> they cried this out as, as one. Eddie replies, fuck Reg. <laughs> and he walks over to the thing and helps himself opens the jar of Brill cream and scoops out a hefty dollop, puts it on his hair. Anyway, how Alan found out about this, I don't know, but he did. And he went for Eddie Lewis. Now, Lewis was a big lad, but Reg was a hard man. And he grabbed him and he took him by the throat in such a grip. And he was screaming blue murder that everybody thought he was going to kill him. And by the time Bert Wally and Tom Curry were sent for and they came and they tried to pull Reg off, um, off Eddie Lewis. But by the time they managed to drag him away, Eddie Lewis's face was turning blue and his tongue was hanging out. <laughs> Suffice it to say that he never pinched Reg's Brill Cream again. <laughs> I love it. Um, but, but it's worth saying that that kind of boisterousness uh, was what stood these lads out, these youngsters out. They, they were so Absolutely. good at reserve team level because they were brave enough to go against these senior lads and and not um, not be feared by them. And, and Lewis was, um, as we mentioned, a prolific goal scorer at reserve team level and was making waves. These were the players, Paddy, as I mentioned, £200,000. At the time, the British transfer record was £34,500, which mm. was set when Jackie Sewell went to Sheffield Wednesday. So he's basically saying, I've got five or six players here who will be as good as any anyone in the country, which is a remarkable boast. Yeah, if you, if you take what's the world transfer record now, a couple of hundred million. So he's basically saying... In, in modern terms, he's got he's got a billion, a billion <laughs> quid's worth of talent in the reserves, and if you go through them, you know, it's not ludicrous, because mm. because these were these these were players who were to emerge as challengers to the best in Europe, mm. so. And there were world-class players among the world-class talents among them. So although it was a boast that took the breath away, it wasn't the ramblings of an idiot. It was, uh, it was, it was, it was tenable. And it is worth saying that the reaction from the journalists at the time were to take it seriously. They yeah. took what he was saying very seriously. They wasn't dismissed out of hand. They were saying, oh, my God, this could be true. The, the issue that we've got, obviously, at this point in time, is that there's no proof of this because there's no competition set up to prove these kids uh, are good enough. And it is also worth mentioning that when Busby's listing 
um, well, he's not listing the players, but when he's, he's quoting that value, it doesn't include the um, presence of one Duncan Edwards, who'd yet to sign for the club. And um, we'll talk about, um, obviously, he's going to come around very quickly in this, but they were trying to um, get that signature over the line, um, which they were trying to do as um, Busby set sail for North America to take the lads back over um, there and see how they Oh, that would fare that time. See who they could rub shoulders with this time. Um, and we'll be back um, with the next episode, picking up from that point as well, um, to see just how prophetic Busby's words are. Um, said, if you are watching this video, um, please give it a like and subscribe. Join in the conversation in the comment section. If you're listening to the audio podcast, please be sure to subscribe and give us a review on the platform you're listening on. Thanks for watching and listening to this episode, which covered Sam Busby's first championship winning team.